So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6, and just a little disclaimer from the beginning, this is going to be a little different than last week. Last week, of course, we hit a very emotional message on storms in our lives, and it's so easy to grab a hold of those types of messages because all of us know storms. We know difficulties. We know things that, that we have to go through. Today's message is definitely more theological um, than last week's, but let me just say this. Um, I know the second I say theological, some of us are like, oh boy, here we go. Um, it's going to be a long uh, few minutes, but if we don't have today's passage, if we don't have this right, let me just say this, we'll never make it through the storms. Um, if we don't have today's passage right and, and be able to understand it and respond to it, we'll never make it through the storm that... Scripture says is coming. So I pray that today we'll just be able to, to uh, focus and, and be able to apply uh, this word into our lives. And let me just transition this way. How many of you in here, like your pastor, are bread lovers? You like bread. So a few of us, you know, whether, whether it be, and pardon me, I'm going to sound like uh, Bubba, just a second, from Forrest Gump, whether it be butter bread or cornbread or biscuits or garlic bread or breadsticks or bagels or banana bread or monkey bread or even bread pudding. You just can't go wrong with bread. Or can you? you know, what, what we're about to see this morning is that all the bread of this world, not speaking of the physical bread, but the things that we trust in will ultimately leave a sense of dissatisfaction in our lives, meaning nothing in this world can truly satisfy us. So this morning in continuing our journey through the gospel of John, now we come to the first of seven I am statements of Jesus where he says, I am, and then he attaches an image to it to show who he is as the God-man, who he is. So Jesus is having a conversation with a crowd of people who are searching for life. And they believe they have found that life in Jesus. He's a young teacher. In their minds, a miracle worker that they can see, a young prophet. And if you were in that crowd that day, as Jesus was teaching, here's what you would have least heard about him or maybe even experienced of him. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus had a conversation with Philip in which Jesus said to Philip, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So Jesus had some sort of divine knowledge about Philip and his life before this encounter. Then maybe you would have been at this wedding at Cana when Jesus turned water into wine. Right after that, Jesus walks into the temple with a whip and he cleans house. Maybe you were there for, for that. There was buzz, there was excitement, there was fear concerning him. Maybe you had heard about the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well as she told everyone, come and see a man who told me everything about my life. Could this be the Messiah? Maybe you heard about the, G or the miracle of Jesus healing the official's son from a distance with just a word, go, he is healed and his son being healed. You might have watched a man who was lame for 38 years at the pool of Bethesda. Watched as Jesus came to him, had a conversation with him, and told him to get up and go home, take his mat. And this man walks away. 
totally healed. This crowd had seen Jesus heal. They had heard him teach. And when we come to chapter 6, the chapter we're in today, the crowd has grown to now thousands. They're listening to Jesus teach. They're, they're getting hungry. So Jesus has this conversation with his disciples about um, how the people are going to eat. And after Philip's failed response, Andrew brings a little boy to Jesus and said, listen, he has five loaves. He has two fish. It's a Hebrew happy meal. But how far will that go? Jesus, of course, he defies logic. He defies reality. Um, he defies it all by multiplying this bread and this fish and feeding the crowd with 12 baskets, a basket full of leftovers. So the people, as you can imagine, they freak out. They're ready to take Jesus by force. They're ready to make him their king because who wouldn't want that type of king? Who wouldn't want as your king someone who can literally multiply and provide and create bread and, and fish just from their hands? And what we have in large is a large amount of people who are ready to reorient their lives around Jesus, believing that they have found in him, one who can give them the life they've always wanted, meaning they, they think they found in Jesus someone who's going to deliver them from the bondage of Rome, who deliver them and give them freedom. The next day, Jesus goes to Capernaum, and, and they go to Capernaum to seek Jesus, desiring to be where he was. And there's a clear reality that is true of them, yet they did not understand it, and they did not receive it. I think of the words of, of John Stott, who said this, There is a hunger in the human heart that none but Christ can satisfy, and there is a thirst that none but he can quench. There's a hunger, there's a thirst that only Jesus can fulfill. And at the end of this chapter, as we're going to see next week, most of the crowd who is in this listening to Jesus would walk away from him and never follow him again. So that'll be next week. But it shows us that there is in what we're about to read this morning something that's astonishing, something that's dividing, something that's deep, that's humbling, that's life-giving, and even that's repelling. That would make a majority of the crowd walk away and never follow Jesus again. So let's dive in this morning. I'm going to ask you if you're able, if you can stand with me and you're going to be standing just a few minutes because we've got a little bit to read this morning. We're going to read verses 22 through 59 together. And this gets really deep because th these are the teachings of Christ. But just follow with me here. Beginning at verse 22, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but it, that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. 
Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Let's pray. Fathers, we think about, Lord, these difficult words that we just read. Words that caused many in this group, most of this group, to walk away and never follow Jesus again. Help us to, through this time today, to see the beauty of you, Jesus, as our bread of life. The only source of everlasting, eternal life that there is in this world. And Lord, help us, God, to Take of in faith of that bread and to keep taking of that bread. Just speak to us, O oh God, today by your spirit through your word. In Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. So 
How many of you have ever heard of the expression, this is the best thing since sliced bread? So it's been a long time since maybe we've heard that, but the question then might be, well, if this is the best thing since sliced bread, what was the best thing before sliced bread? And of course, the church answer and the obvious answer is Jesus, always Jesus. He is the best thing uh, since sliced bread, before sliced bread, and best thing ever. So the banner over our time this morning is that Jesus is the bread of life. And I read today, uh, this week that there are more than 100 different varieties of bread in our world, which was kind of surprising because I thought there would be more, but 100 varieties, and those varieties of bread might help us sustain our physical lives, but there is only one type of bread that gives us spiritual life. And ultimately, our soul's deepest craving is not for something. Our, dull, our soul's deepest craving is for someone. We crave him. And until our souls are reoriented around that someone, our souls will always be famished and always be wanting. Always be wanting more. So the question the questions for us this morning are, do we honestly desire Jesus as the bread? And hearing his word, do we hunger for him? Are we seeking gifts or are we seeking the giver? So let's unpack this morning three truths that relate to Jesus as the bread of our lives, both now and forever. Number one is this, Jesus fulfills our deepest desires. Jesus fulfills our deepest desires. If you look on the screen, you'll see verse 26 says, Jesus answered them, you are seeking me because you ate your fill of loaves. So you're seeking me because you're, you're following your bellies. Then verse 33 says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And then verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. So this crowd comes to Jesus with questions, yet Jesus doesn't answer their questions. Instead, he speaks of their motives. He says, you're only here because you want bread. you only here because you think I'm a bread-producing factory. And the conversation continues and as it continues, there's an Old Testament event that the crowd references. Basically, they say this, Jesus, you fed us for a day, but Moses fed our people for 40 years. Do that is basically what they're saying. So after being delivered from slavery in Egypt, God's people wandered in the wilderness, as we know it, without a human source of food. So God provided for them by sending bread from heaven, manna, from heaven in proportion to their exact daily need, what they needed every single day. This bread was given for them or to them every day except for Sabbath. Of course, they were given twice the amount the day before Sabbath, and it was given to them for a duration of 40 years. But here's what we often miss, and please don't miss this today. The whole point of God's provision of the manna was only to sustain his people it was not to satisfy them. So follow with me here. The bread was only given to sustain them for these 40 years. It wasn't to satisfy them. Why? Because God had not brought them out of slavery just to hang out in the wilderness. No, God had a land that he had promised to give them. And it's awesome when you think about this manna. 
a honey-like wafer. So think Krispy Kreme. Think Krispy Kreme deliciousness of what God is giving to them that came down from heaven, providing what they needed every single day to get through that day in order to get them to a land flowing with milk and honey. So the, the manna was never meant to fully satisfy them while they were in the wilderness because, hear this, the wilderness wasn't their home. The wilderness wasn't their home. God gave them what would sustain them, not what would satisfy them, so they wouldn't just um, take camp in the wilderness and say, we're home. No, they weren't home yet. Fast forward from that event a couple of thousand years, and there are people who prophesied that when the Messiah came, he would bring bread or give bread to his people. Yet the people weren't desiring the giver of the bread. They were just desiring the bread. They desired what would fill their stomachs even though their hearts remained empty. Their hearts remained just beating and desiring what the bread couldn't fulfill. And this is where the conflict begins. And this is where Jesus starts to expose certain things about their desires, certain things about their hearts and even our hearts. First, Jesus attacked them at their need and said, listen, your perceived need is not your actual need. You're coming to me thinking, hey, more manna is on the way. This guy's our, our meal ticket, all the bread that we can eat. And Jesus says, but that's not your actual need. You think you need food, but what you really need is life. You need life. And in the Greek, and I know, just follow me here. In the Greek, there are different words for the word life. One of the words in Greek for life is the word bios. It's where we get the word biology. It means physical life. It means material life. In Luke 8, Luke uses the word bios to talk about a woman who had been sick for 12 years. Remember the issue of blood. She um, wanted just to touch Jesus. But it said that she went from doctor to doctor looking for a cure. And Luke writes, she spent all her bios, meaning she spent everything all her life, all of her physical, um, anything that she had, she spent it on medical bills. So spent all of her life, all of her money, everything that was needed to sustain her physically, she spent it trying to find a cure. So bios. And there's another Greek word that's used for life, and it's the Greek word zoe. It, its meaning transcends the physical. It literally means eternal, everlasting life. So when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him will not perish, but have Zoe, have eternal, everlasting life. In Romans 6, Paul says this, uses the same word. We've been buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life or newness of Zoe, eternal life. And let me just add this. We all know the difference between existing and really living. So you can exist and yet not really live. If we live forever without life, so if we live forever without hope and without purpose, we are miserable. So when the Bible talks about eternal life, it's not just talking about living forever. It's not just talking about eternal existence. For, please follow with me here, eternal existence could also be a description of hell. 
So those who are in hell will exist forever. They will live forever, yet apart from God, without God. So are we just seeking eternal existence or are we seeking eternal life? Our deepest desire placed within us by God, our creator, is not live forever and it's not just get to heaven. No, our deepest desire given to us by our creator is this. Don't miss it. Know God now and know him forever. That's the deepest desire. In fact, how do I know that? Because in John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you and know your son. Eternal life is knowing God now and knowing him forever. So John is writing this account, and he has these words to choose from, either bios or, or zoe. You have people who are coming to Jesus. They're looking for, for bread, looking for something to meet their physical needs. And Jesus says, the bread that came down from heaven gives life to the world. Let me just, let me just say this. We were absolutely created by God with natural cravings. In Genesis 2, in the garden, we see man has a need for food, and man had a need, in Genesis 2, for companionship. Needs given by God. Yet the picture in the Garden of Eden was that the man, or the, the needs, excuse me, that man had were never intended just, just to be met with physical things. They were intended to be met by God alone. So our deepest desires are designed to be satisfied by God. And when we're not looking to God to satisfy those things, we are miserable. And we keep looking and we keep looking and we look under rocks looking for anything that will satisfy so that and we avoid God in the process and we become more miserable. God has wired us and that we can only be satisfied in him and by him. He is our satisfaction. Listen, some pastors falsely, and I say falsely preach, and it's nonsense, that if you come to God, you get stuff. If you come to God, God will give you all you want. All you got to do is pray and use the word in Jesus' name, and he'll give you everything you want. And let me just say this. It's nonsense. It's a lie, and don't buy it. Don't buy it. Jesus' name is not a magical formula that you put in every prayer and it makes it means that God, if you say in Jesus' name, God has to do it. That's not what it means. Using Jesus' name means you're praying as Jesus would. And how would Jesus pray? Not my will, but yours be done. Here's the deal. We come to God not to get stuff. We come to God to get God. We trust in God so that we can know God more. God is not the means to an end. God is the end. He is the end of it all. He is that which our souls desire and long for. And God doesn't just give us the bread of life. He is the bread of life. And he fulfills our deepest longings and desires even now. Even now. So Jesus fulfills our deepest desires. Secondly, Jesus transforms our deceptive beliefs. He transforms our deceptive beliefs. So this crowd, think about this. They had just participated in one of Jesus' biggest miracles. So the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children is a miracle recorded in all four Gospels. They had participated in that, and now they dare ask Jesus, what sign do you show us or do for us to show us that you are from heaven? 
What sign are you going to do for us that we will see and believe? Listen, that question is either the epitome of arrogance or it's the epitome of stupidity. They had just seen a miracle. And they come to Jesus and say, what are you going to do to show us? What are you going to do? And how often do you and I forget that God does the extraordinary in the midst of even the ordinary in our lives? It may appear to be an ordinary day, but it's a miraculous day of life. The sun came up the way God miraculously designed it to. The balance of oxygen in the air that allows us to take breaths that we need to live the way that God designed it to be. Gravity keeps our feet on the ground, takes us places because of God's miraculous design. What we take for granted as ordinary are literally extraordinary miracles of God. Yet, let me say this, we still want more. And we still need more. We need more than all of those things. We need salvation. We need eternal life. And there's another issue for this crowd and really is an issue for us. Because we are sinful, we are prone to desire the world more than we desire God. We desire the material more than we desire the spiritual. And we are led to believe the same things that the world believes Primarily, here's what the world believes, that you can earn your way to heaven. As long as you're good, you are going to get to heaven. And this crowd in verse 28, you see on the screen, they come to Jesus and they say, they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So what work can we do? So they say, is there something we can do? And Jesus basically says, no, but there's someone you can believe in. There's someone you can believe in. And look at verse 29 on the screen. It says, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. So if you want to work, here it is, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And then verse 51 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So from the very beginning, man has tried to get to God on his own terms. The crowd asked Jesus, what work can we do? And Jesus says, here's the work, believe in me. And here, in the presence of Christ, the crowd, they, in a sense, they want to use Christ for food, but now they want to bypass Christ. We don't want to believe in you. Just give us something to do so we can earn it ourselves. Yet when we truly behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, he not only transforms our desires, he transforms our beliefs. In fact, in his presence, we realize that he is and that we are not. And in recognizing him, we respond to him. We respond to him as our life, our only source of life. This week, I read a story about a missionary who many, many years ago, was ministering in a desert area. And one of the ways he would serve and love the people was by providing clean water to different villages in his area. So he would take clean water from the city to the village and then leave that village and go to another village. He would load up a wagon, barrels and barrels full of clean water, and then distribute that water to people so that they could live. He would go from village to village to village. One day he left the city, took clean water to the first village. 
Then he left the first village to go to a second village, but he never made it. So the people, the villagers, they waited. A day passed, two days passed. Finally, they sent a party out looking for him, and they found this man in a wagon filled with water, and he was dead. He died of thirst in the desert, surrounded by water. Everything he needed to stay alive was within his reach, but he would not drink. For whatever reason, he didn't drink. And please hear me. If we are only in this for the benefits of Christianity, but we don't want the Christ of Christianity, then we will be that guy. We will be that guy. We will thirst to death surrounded by water, but we will never have the benefits because we won't drink. We won't drink. If Christ is not our satisfaction, then eventually we will find ourselves in the desert on our own, and we won't make it. Have our, have our beliefs been transformed, or how are our beliefs transformed? Jesus tells us we must come to him. Look with me. Look at verse 37, what Jesus says. In verse 37, Jesus says, All that the Father give me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. What a beautiful verse. If you come to me, I will not cast you out. If you come to me, I will not reject you. If you come to me, I won't say, no, I don't, I don't want you. If you come to me, I will not cast you out. And then look at verse 44. Verse 44 says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. So though Bible-believing Christians disagree on exactly how divine sovereignty and human responsibility work together, all agree that God takes the first step in salvation. God takes the initiative in saving us. And if God didn't take the first step in our salvation and waited for us to desire salvation, we would never be saved. So God takes the first step. He takes the initiative. Because of our sinfulness, without the Father drawing us to himself, we would have no desire at all to trust him. We would have no desire to be saved by him. But at the same time, the Bible tells us over and over and over again, repent, believe. In fact, look at verse 40. Verse 40 says, in the middle of these two, Jesus says, for this is the will of my Father. So you want to know what God's will is? That everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. That's God's will. Look to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and be saved. We look to him, we behold in him, we believe him, and we have eternal life. The word believe appears in John's gospel 98 times. Almost, uh, almost 50% of the, the times believe is mentioned in the New Testament, it is in the gospel of John. So we believe he is who he claimed to be. He is the preexistent one. He is the saving one. He is the satisfying one. Do we believe that? Do we understand who he is? Do we really understand who he is? Jesus transforms our deceptive beliefs. And then lastly, Jesus guarantees our eternal enjoyment. Jesus guarantees our eternal enjoyment. I don't know what you think you're going to enjoy in heaven, so many times, and, and I, I don't want to get away from my message too much, but I hear people talk about heaven, and it's like, I don't want to go to your heaven. I don't want to go to your heaven, because your heaven is just a, a family reunion. And I've been to family reunions. I don't like them that much. So if, you're, if your heaven, idea of heaven, is just a family reunion, I don't want your heaven. I don't want it. 
here's the deal. And if, if your idea of heaven is only a family reunion, God doesn't want it. Because the center of heaven is him. He is the center of heaven. He is the one. Yes, I can't wait to see my lovers. I can't wait to see my father again. But here's what I believe. I believe even if that was my thought that I'm going to get there, I'm going to say, where's my dad? I know where he's going to be. He's going to be, he's going to be bowing down to Jesus. He's going to be before Jesus. And if I ever try to make it about him in heaven, which we won't, it's like, it's about him. He's the reason we're here. It will always be about him. But Jesus guarantees our eternal enjoyment. Look at verse 51 on the screen. It says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, it's not on the screen, but verse 53, Jesus says this. And this is when it gets weird. Jesus said to them, truly, I say, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What? More on that in a second. Then verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And it's shocking that there wasn't a riot in this moment. For in Leviticus, Jews were forbidden to drink blood. So Jesus is saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. What, what sounds like an apocalyptic vampire zombie horror film is actually one of the most confusing and controversial statements of Jesus in all of the gospel. So was Jesus asking us, to do what God had forbidden, drink blood? No, that's not what Jesus was asking. This is not a cannibalistic vampire cult, and this certainly is not Silence of the Lambs. So just understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you must accept me for who I am, and you must see the need for the death that I will die, which is what Jesus was referencing when he said, you have to drink my blood and you have to eat my flesh. He was saying, I'm about to, my flesh is about to be broken on the cross. My blood is about to be shed. And when Jesus said you have to eat of it and drink of it, what he's saying is this, you have to believe it. You have to believe it. You have to come to it in faith. We must believe who he is and what he has done. And next week, we're going to see that instead of believing, most of this crowd walked away. And here is my fear for the church today. Here's my fear for us, that we will look at the temporary bread in our hands, the things that we think we need for satisfaction, and we will look at all this temporary bread, and we will look at Jesus, we'll look at the bread in our hands, and we will close our hands around this temporary bread and walk away from Jesus, which is what this crowd did. Oh, to God, that we would not do that. Let me say today, let me just tell you today why it's Jesus and Jesus only. Trusting in other breads will break you, but only Jesus was broken for you. Jesus is the bread that was broken for you, for he found us starving to death. 
with a stomach full of earthly bread, eating just to be hungry again and again and again. And he pointed us to himself. He went to the cross and the bread of life was broken for you and for me. He alone has the words of eternal life. And he declared, whoever comes to me will not hunger and whoever believes in me will not thirst. There is no life outside of Jesus. Listen, if your bread in this moment is anything other than Jesus, bow before him, open your hands, let go of that, and not just open your hands, but open your life again to Jesus. Open your life again to him. Let me end today our time, before we move to something else in our time of worship and in the word, I want to end with the words of Jared Wilson. And just, just look at the, this, this amazing quote. And it says this, If you look to Jesus, the bread of life, and ask him to satisfy your hunger, he will not give you a stone. He will give you himself. Let us then stop begging for signs and start beholding Jesus. There is one great sign that you are loved more than you thought it is the cross, and there is a still further sign that you will live in this love forever. It is the empty tomb. Come, you who hunger, bring your nothingness and trade it. Trade it for the abundant bread of Jesus Christ. If you come to Jesus and ask for bread, he will not give you a stone. He won't give you a stone. Let me say this, taking that quote, and just getting upset for just a second. Don't measure the love of God for you based on your circumstances. We do that so often. I had a bad day. God doesn't love me. I had a bad week. Everything isn't going my way. God must not love me. God's love isn't shown by giving you what you want. If you parent that way, God forbid the, parent, the kind of kids you're going to raise. The kind of kids you, you would raise if you gave them everything they wanted. Imagine that. Giving them everything they wanted. Imagine the terrors we would create. And maybe we're seeing some of that today and have continued to. Here's the deal. God doesn't show us his love by giving us everything that we want by which we say, I had a perfect week. Everything I asked God for, he gave it to me. God loves me. No, that is not the way we measure God's love. We measure God's love by this. And while we were yet sinners... God loved us and gave his son for us. That's the love of God. He sent his son to the cross for us. We can never, ever again question his love. We look to the cross. So I want to end our time together this morning in the word by celebrating the ordinance of communion together in this time by which we celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of our Savior for our sins and for our salvation. In fact, we put it this way, and you see it on the screen, his body, his blood for us. That's the whole picture, his body, his blood for our lives. And as we come to this ordinance this morning, we don't want to do so in an unworthy manner. Read what, in 1 Corinthians 11, read what Paul says about coming to this place, to the Lord's table, in an unworthy manner. It's not a good thing, and we don't want to do that. Instead, we want to come humbly, and we want to come joyfully. We want to come 
humbly asking God to search our hearts to show us any sin in our lives that isn't pleasing to Him. We want to confess the sins of omission against God where we have not done the things He called us to do. We want to confess the sins of commission by which we've done things that we know God has told us not to do. We want to confess the sins of disposition by which our attitudes and minds aren't in line with God and His will for us. And we know that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to cleanse us, forgive us of all unrighteousness. And we also come to this time joyfully. We, we joyfully celebrate the fact that we aren't doing this to earn salvation. We are doing this because Jesus earned our salvation. And we are able to rejoice in what he has done for us. So I want us to pause just a second. And let's just bow our heads and close our eyes and just take a moment to, to see God, to pray to God, to ask God to forgive you for any unconfessed sin in your life or ask God to, to show you the beauty of what he has done for you. as we pause and as we pray, we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And amen. So we're going to begin this morning by asking you to peel off the top layer and grab that piece of bread. And in coming to the bread that represents the broken body of our Savior, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 and 24, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, if we can take that next part of the cup and open it up for the juice. So in coming to the cup, it represents the shed blood of our Savior from us. It cleanses us from all sin. I think of the words of the hymn, What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. 25, in the same way, also he took the cup 
after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then Paul said, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And just a reminder for us this morning, brothers and sisters, he is coming again. He is coming. So we do this, reminding ourselves what he has done and the fact he is coming and remind ourselves what he will do. And just as a reminder this morning, in case you need a smile on your face right now, he will make every wrong right. He will wipe away every tear from our face and we will live in his presence forever and ever. We're now going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask Brother Frank to come. And we're going to end this time together just with a time of celebration, a time of just reflecting and singing that which is so true of who Christ is for us. So let us join 